Amy, on this podcast, we try to always offer useful takeaways. And if you learn nothing else from us, learn this useful parenting lesson by Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 are the ultimate parent hack, the best diaper to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. Instead of ordinary diaper tabs, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your wild child. Pampers Cruisers 360 makes it so easy to change your baby. Who probably doesn't stop moving just because they need a diaper changed? Just slide on to apply and away they go. And fear not, parents. Pampers Cruisers 360 offers an up to 100% leak-free fit, and they just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we say more? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy, and today we're talking to Gloria Riviera. She is the host of the podcast, No One is Coming to Save Us, from Lemonada Media, which covers America's childcare crisis and the people of all ages who are crushed by it. Gloria spent over 20 years as an ABC News producer and correspondent, covering breaking, investigative, and feature stories around the world for shows including Good Morning America, World News Tonight, and Nightline. And today she's with us. Welcome, Gloria. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Hi, guys. Hello. So your podcast has just started its second season. It's an amazing podcast. And it's at a very uniquely awful time for working parents in this country and the childcare crisis that is making everything worse. So tell us about your podcast and how you came to decide to create it. Well, we launched in May of 2021. And around that time, within days before our launch of season one, I think it was the New York Times that ran a series called Primal Scream. Mm -hmm. Yes, we talked about it on this podcast for sure. Yeah, I think a lot of people were talking about that. So in that sense, I think the show hit the right time in this country. We had started production in February. It felt like a mad dash. But what Lemonada does is they take issues that are super, super tough, and their goal is to make them suck less. So in season <laughs> one, we took a deep dive into how we got to this point in our country. How did the United States get to a point in which it is ranked along with Papua New Guinea, like last of the last in terms of what this country does for people when they become parents. There is no infrastructure. There is no help. There is no one coming to save us. So we took a look at that and asked why and repeatedly said it doesn't have to be this way. And now in season two, we're having that conversation on a weekly basis. So it's a little bit of a different format, but I get to talk to the smartest people out there about this crisis and what we're going to do about it. And let's start at the why. What are some of the whys? I think that we all, we've heard this story, we kind of acknowledge it in our own lives, but what did you find in terms of some of the whys of how we got to this place? So many whys. So many whys. <laughs> so many whys. I would start with the way that we view women, right? 
when they have children, juxtaposed with, we spoke to a historian who had studied Africa and the idea of a village. And when a child is born, everyone in the village comes to see that child and offers a gift. And there's this attitude of, oh, I just want to hold that baby. And I felt, and I know that my mom felt, and I would go so far as to say my grandmother felt, you know, there was no one around to hold the baby, literally. Like, somebody just come here and hold this baby because I got things to do. So there's the way we view women when they become mothers and fathers. We spoke to a lot of men as well. There's the total lack of infrastructure around childcare. There is nowhere to go with your baby if you want to take a shower. I used to make to-do lists and a friend told me, like, put achievable things on your to-do list. So I would Mm -hmm. put, like, brush my teeth, take a shower. We spoke to a couple, an American couple that moved to Berlin where they have amazing, it's called Kita, centers sometimes more than one in every neighborhood. And they will look after your child. There are therapists there. You can look for a job there. It's practically nothing cost-wise. So... You know, we just have never taken a moment to build what we need in this country, except during World War II, when it was like, oh, gosh, women are going to have to go to work. Oh, if they're going to do that, we need to take care of their children. So there were these amazing, in many cases, pop-up childcare centers all around the country with qualified, affordable accessible teachers and programs that lasted throughout the war. And actually, Eleanor Roosevelt, when the war came to an end, in her opinion column, she said, bad idea to get rid of this. Bad idea. We need this. And they closed them anyway. How do you think COVID complicated things? It seems to me that that's another moment where we should have risen to the occasion as a nation in many ways that we kind of started to and then kind of were like, eh, maybe we won't do this. And <laughs> it seems like a lot of work, actually. Yeah, having, you know, multiple childcare places in every neighborhood would be a challenge when there wasn't a pandemic, but a disease made that worse. But there was this sort of decision as a society that the kids were going to need to stay home. And we didn't even have to discuss whose career would be put on hold to take care of those kids when they needed to be at home. It was the mom. Oh, right. Do you think that was on us that we each accepted in our own households that our career was going to go on pause? Or do you think there were societal pressures around that? I think both. I think the answer is both. I think that COVID crisis put the childcare crisis into technicolor, right? All of a sudden, it was acute. It was, and you guys have talked a lot about this on your show, there's so many issues that were terrible before COVID, you know, super sucky, and then got even worse during COVID. So do I think it was the way we see ourselves? I mean, in my house, it was. In my house, it was like, I mean, my partner still went into an office even during COVID. And there was never a moment that I thought, you know, no, you shouldn't do that. So yes, that I think that we do contribute to the ongoing childcare crisis, right? We don't stop and join forces and stand up together. And COVID did that for primarily mothers and fathers. But it was an opportunity to speak with one collective voice to say, this is not sustainable. I cannot do this. And I'm hoping, and I think that there is reason to be optimistic, that continues, right? There hasn't been an inaugural address or a State of the Union address in which a sitting president has mentioned childcare going back to, oh gosh, I I mean, 
for a long time. Mm. Let's just say for a long time, right? And so the fact that President Biden is talking about childcare, it is in the conversation, and that's a really good thing. And you talk about the concept of the primary parent, which plays into everything we're talking about. Where does this idea come from? Amy and I, I think, both consider ourselves fairly forward-thinking people. And, you know, I went to a women's college. I get it. (laughs) But we still kind of end up with this primary parent default that seems to go deeper than like even what we actively imagine about ourselves and actively think of as our default setting. Yeah, I think that that, listen, it's going to be different for every family. It definitely applies to my family. I think it goes a lot to, I mean, thank you, couples counseling. I can say like, he's not going to do it my way. He's going to do it his way and it's going to get done. I was listening to one of your shows when somebody was talking about the egg pan on the kitchen in the kitchen. Somebody <laughs> doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that would be Amy talking about her husband. Let's just call him out again because he loves it when we do it. You didn't have to listen long to hear about the egg pan. Right, right. The omelet pan, right? Like there's an omelet pan in every household, right? So if I'm right, your question was sort of like, I'm aware of these stereotypes and roles that we play, but living them is a different thing. Like the depth to which they manifest in my own house is different from what I would have hoped it would look like. And my partner is a great partner. You know, he's very present, but it's still difficult. It's still like, just let me do it my way. And that's my work, you know. How did your own career change once you became a parent? I mean, what was your own childcare journey. (laughs) It seems to me like you must have had a very illustrious and busy career as an international correspondent. Now you're a parent. What's your childcare going to look like? How did that work for you? Yeah, they don't really go hand in hand, do they? (laughs) Mm. Um, Another point at which like my partner thought we both agreed that it would be a fine idea for him to be in Iraq in 2008, two weeks before my due date. (laughs) Like he was going to be back before the baby was due. And first of all, like two weeks, like that baby could have like been there, you know, in a minute. So it took a while for it to sink in that I couldn't do both. And I just remember we moved to Asia, we moved to China and there was a tsunami, I think it was in the Philippines. And I was starting to potty train my oldest. And somehow I was like, I can leave. And like, he'll still get potty trained eventually. But you just you're so overwhelmed with trying to make it all work, that it starts to not make any sense at all. (laughs) I mean, listen, being a foreign correspondent is really hard. You get a phone call anytime. It's like, you have to go to the airport that night. And you don't know when you're coming back. And you don't know, you know, how hard it's going to be. And you really don't know what to tell a three-year-old who's like, wait, what? You're leaving now? So eventually I decided to leave that. (laughs) Yeah, it's a very difficult job. I have a friend who's a foreign correspondent. And it's a very, very difficult job to merge with motherhood, parenthood. But it's also a parallel for a lot of we have a lot of listeners who are part of military families. And they deal with this all the time. The call comes in and they go. It might be mom. It might be dad. And You know, I do think that resetting our definition and having these conversations about why am I the primary on this? How is that affecting the way that our work 
plays out when things happen. And one of the things we always say is taking the lessons of the pandemic. And I think we did have to confront all of us in our households. Like, how does it work when the rubber hits the road? That's what I was just thinking. Because we maybe hadn't had those conversations before because we could always make do. But I think it's interesting to look at some more extraordinary circumstances, whether it's a military mom, a foreign correspondent of, are we having these conversations at the right time? Because these situations are coming for all of us, as we've seen after COVID. Right. Well, that's what I would argue. Right. Like the tsunami in the Philippines and I have to potty train my kid. Like that's a very colorful, extreme example. But all of us look at the last couple of years we went through and we all had, you know, the tsunami at our door. The like, Now somebody has to stay home for two weeks. Exactly. It's been a tsunami for everyone. Right. It was the tsunami for everyone. Anyway, this seems like a good time to take a break. We're talking to Gloria Riviera. She is the host of the podcast, No One Is Coming to Save Us. And we'll be right back. Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew. And believe it or not, this will be my 13th nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur status. You're a pro aunt at this (laughs) point. Our family has seen a lot of babies. And as soon as they start standing or walking, I send them all a whole lot of Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 don't have ordinary diaper tabs. Instead, they have a unique 360 degree stretchy waistband that moves with your newly mobile little one. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof, crucial once your baby is quite literally up and at them. And that gap-free fit helps prevent your baby from taking off their diaper, a habit you do not want them to get into. You can say that again. And Pampers Cruisers 360 just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we even elaborate on the need for that, friends? For trust protection trust pampers the number one pediatrician recommended brand download the pampers club app today and earn pampers cash then redeem your pampers cash for exclusive pampers coupon savings and rewards only redeemable via pampers club pampers cash has no cash value Hello, Hellions. You know we listen to a lot of podcasts that aren't our own, and today we want to tell you about a podcast that really speaks to us and will speak to any parent of a child with special education needs. The podcast is called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. One of my kids has an IEP, and I found this podcast so validating and so helpful. I feel better equipped to advocate for my child's educational needs now. This podcast is helpful for parents in many different situations, whether your child already has an IEP or you're just starting to wonder if they might need extra support in the classroom. Juliana has content for kids of all ages and for kids who are learning English as an additional language as well. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. So we're back talking to Gloria Riviera about the childcare crisis in this country. And I wanted to talk about some of the actual structural issues around the childcare industry, one of which is labor shortages. And there's labor shortages in all industries, but particularly crippling in the childcare industry, if I understand it correctly. Yeah, no, you understand it 100%, 1000% correctly. I think there's a stat out there, which is that mostly across different industries, we've come back to pre-COVID levels of employment, except in the childcare industry. 
So the reasons for that are that we don't pay our childcare workers. We educate them. Like you can get lots of letters behind your name focusing on early education and childcare. But once you enter the workforce, you're just not going to be paid a living wage. It's like poverty level wages. So other companies that have the ability to increase wages and they're big name companies, you know, Starbucks, Target, Amazon, like all those places start to look pretty good when you're just going to earn a living wage. So you have a labor shortage, you have childcare centers that are closing. It's just been too hard. There are a lot of really inefficient structures around childcare that make it difficult to stay open. One of them is the idea of subsidies. And for sure, in season two, like this will drive our partners at Neighborhood Villages crazy, I think, because I'm learning as I go. So this idea of subsidies, right? Like kids on subsidies get to go to early childcare if they're lucky enough to get a spot. But that center is only paid on attendance, not enrollment, right? So if you have you know, 40 kids in your class, they are enrolled, but somebody doesn't show up because let's just look at COVID, lots of reasons not to show up. That center is not going to get paid, right? The money is there, but it's not getting to them. So that is slowly changing. That's just one example of why people are feeling like they're in crisis, who are early educators. And we've spoken to so many people. They are so passionate. I mean, I would hope like, Most of us at some point have just had big love for whomever is teaching our child under the age of five, and they're so passionate about their work, and they can't do it because they can't survive on it. And are you saying that somebody can actually make more money working at Starbucks, getting better benefits and working behind the counter at Starbucks than they can with an early childhood job for which they've gotten a degree? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean... For sure. And at Starbucks, you're looking at like help with college, help with, you know, all sorts of stuff and good on Starbucks, right? Make that position really attractive. But we've spoken to a lot of childcare workers who hustle around. They have more than one job. And often it's also at a Starbucks or also at a Target or also a shift at, you know, a Walmart, wherever it is, because they need that income. And also, I know from my personal experience that within a public school, you think like, oh, well, public schools are, they offer benefits and there, there are so many people who work in public school. I have a kid who is on the spectrum who had an aide in elementary school, school aides, the people who work in the cafeteria. Like There are so many people who help run the school who do not fall under the teacher's union. And so you may think like, oh, well, this doesn't affect me because my kids are in public school. It does affect you. There are so many invisible workers in the chain of the people who help your kids during the day, even if you don't have a kid with special needs, if you don't have any aides who are helping kids who need extra support, that's going to affect the way your child learns within that building. And I think that it can be very easy to tell the story of like, well, this doesn't particularly affect me, but it's a chain. It is a huge, it's a supply chain, it's a labor chain, and it will come to your door at a certain point. Yeah, absolutely. And I have a lot of friends in my own family who choose public school because of all that assistance, right? And when it dawns on them that, you know, those are the people who are not in a union, who are not 
really getting the protection that people, a lot of people got during COVID. It's a really scary thing. Right. And it makes me think of the formula crisis, which is ongoing. Just this week, there was news that a big shipment came in and I'm not going to have the right numbers, but it was specialized formula that came in. I watched so many news stories and I was asking like, where is this coming from? I didn't find out, but it's specialized formula. It's going to last a small number of people, their babies, like one week. Right. That's it. One week. And I've been in the grocery stores and I've looked at the shelves and I would be in a panic. You know, all of my kids had formula and, you know, there was nothing on the shelf. So I feel like, you know, we're in this place with childcare. I'm an optimist for sure, but it's hard to be an optimist when these like sideways blows keep coming at you. And you're like, wait a minute. And there's a waterfall effect. It occurs to me if you're a childcare worker and you have to work two jobs because you're not getting paid enough as a childcare worker to do the work you're deeply called to do. And then you're also working at Starbucks. You need more childcare, which isn't yeah. necessarily available right now. And so then you have to leave the field entirely because you can't get care for your own kids so you can work in the childcare industry. It's crazy. Yeah, there's a lot of tag team parenting. So this is actually interesting. If you think of the cost of childcare right now, and it costs so much, it can be more than your mortgage, you know, that's sort of the tagline. We are paying already, right? We're paying, there's a family, she drives, she's a social worker, he drives Uber at night, somehow they make it work. But they never sit down to dinner as a family, which a lot of people say is a great thing. Doesn't happen so often in my house. Sometimes <laughs> it does. But the idea is that's the cost for their family, right? That that child growing up never has her family together. And how is it? I mean, where are we falling down? The child care is so expensive and the workers are being paid so little. Well, childcare is expensive because when you think of young kids and everything they need, it's very different from like a fully potty trained five-year-old who doesn't need, you know, that paper that when you go to your pediatrician, they put it over the, <laughs> yes. the table and your kid gets up on that. Like that's a cost, right? Also for safety reasons, there's a lower student to teacher ratio. So you need more teachers. There's also, you know, younger kids need, for example, nap time. So the structure of the day has to accommodate, you know, a very quiet room and, and time for a nap. And so there's just a lot of things that go into running. I mean, that's not to mention, we talked to somebody in Boston at Ellis Early Learning, and she was like, then our aircon system went down, and that's over $100,000, <laughs> you know. So they just have, you know, every school has a lot of costs. In early child care, for all those reasons, it's just more. It's, it's more expensive to run those programs. And you don't have on the flip side, the capitalist structure of, well, we can always sell more coffee. You know, there's <laughs> right. more and more coffee, right? So that you're making more money. Starbucks, great that they're doing all that, but they have a kind of limitless supply until they hit a market saturation of how much money they can make on a daily basis. Whereas a daycare center or a childcare center if you max out at 20 kids and each one of those kids can only afford, you know, re realistically X number of dollars, there's no spring of money coming in. It's constantly just taking this pie and trying to cut it in smaller and smaller and smaller pieces. Yeah, you're exactly right. And right now, so the labor shortage is twofold, right? You have people who are hustling and they have jobs at other places, but then you are left with the childcare centers and there's nobody out there to hire. 
there's no one, they cannot find people to come in and work there for the wages. And also, we had been talking about COVID. I mean, we have talked to centers where the head of the center said, oh, my director of finance was in the classroom today. Like they are just hustling through where to put people, where to stop the leaks so they have enough people in the classroom. So it's very stressful inside and outside and we have to fix it. And the good news is some places have figured it out. So it is possible. We are talking to Gloria Riviera of the podcast, No One is Coming to Save Us. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used hero bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty-calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. More and more, you hear about the importance of electrolytes as part of staying hydrated because you need the sodium and the potassium, not just the water. And whether you're looking to hydrate during a workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing and without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. They're little packets you can just grab and take with you to mix into your water bottle on the go. My favorite flavor so far, Amy, gotta be the cherry pomegranate. 
Interesting. My high schooler likes the lemon lime, and she keeps a few handy in her backpack for days that she has practiced after school. These electrolytes have the sodium and the potassium that you need to go with it in the optimal ratio for daily hydration. Visit sportsresearch.com and use code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's sportsresearch, S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate electrolytes order. So we're back. We're talking to Gloria Riviera. She is the host of the podcast, No One is Coming to Save Us. We do want to talk about solutions. There are some things that we can do as a society and as individuals to try to address this situation. But I don't want to leave out a very large part of what your podcast is addressing, which is systemic racism in this country and how that complicates the childcare situation even further. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it was definitely something that I wanted to learn as much as I could about that topic. And we started in season one by talking to a historian, and she took us right back to slavery and how we viewed women, right? We would sell babies as slaves, take them away from their mothers, and that was part of the way that slavery worked, right? And so (laughs) pretty horrific place to start. Fast forward What you have now are a lot of black and brown women working in the childcare industry, and they are then placed in this role with the low wages, with all the stress that we've talked about before. And there's not a lot of focus on how to change that, help them figure that part out. One thing that I thought was interesting is we just spoke to somebody in Florence, Alabama, where they actually just changed the subsidy structure there. So they, in this one county, they will be paid on enrollment. But what she told me was many childcare centers actively don't want kids who are often black and brown on subsidies, A, because it's a pain to chase the tuition, right? To chase the fees. But B, because it does change the culture inside the classroom. So I had to stop her and say, are you saying what I think you're saying? And I understand that that child care director is making decisions to keep her business going. Like, I don't want to chase all this money that's so hard to track down. But that's something that really contributes to the ongoing systemic racism in early child care, right? That you're making a decision not to have kids on subsidies inside your classroom because it's going to make it more difficult to keep your doors open. And I get it. You want to keep your doors open. But that to me doesn't feel like a solution. No, definitely not. And then there's childcare deserts as well, right? In poor communities, it's even harder to get childcare because I guess, as you're saying, it's not sufficiently profitable to open a childcare center there. Right. So yeah, you have these deserts where, I mean, my own mom in season one, I we were sort of having this like producing meeting. And, and I said, you know, I like my family, like, we always heard that my mom went knocking on doors. You know, she was like, 20. Her husband was getting a degree. She wanted to go get a job. And so she literally like walked the neighborhood knocking on doors. There was no like Google babysitter, nothing like that. And I was like, well, what did you say to these people? Here she was like 20 years old. She said, I need someone to look after my child so I can go to work. Mm-hmm. And that is really the way we should think about childcare. It's infrastructure. It's just like a bridge or a road. It's how people get to where they need to go, right? To do what they need to do. So I think in childcare deserts, which essentially the U.S. was one after World War II and we shut everything down, you know, you're faced with this very extreme circumstance where you have to say, what do I need? I need someone to help me watch my kids so I can go to work. 
I love that idea of its infrastructure because I think that's something that people don't think about that, right? You need certain things to be able to participate in the workforce and childcare is one of them. So building off of that, what are you seeing and discovering through your podcast about what some of the solutions to these sometimes overwhelming seeming problems, what are some solutions that you are seeing that seem realistic, hopeful? Right. Well, like I said, it's still very much in the conversation. I used to think, oh, why don't we just like draw down the public school system? Like that seems like a good meaning move it and make it accessible to younger kids. Yeah, right. I've been warned away from that from some very smart people who have studied this issue a lot longer than I have. (laughs) Not that we need to create new centers, but that we can work with those that currently exist. And they do Mm. exist and they can be expanded. And there's some very, I mean, I'm talking to you from Washington, D.C. The World Bank here has an incredible early education child center. I mean, there are places that do it, but I've also been warned away from this idea that businesses should provide early education and child care. Why is that? Because that seems like it might be a solution. And private sector has some good solutions. Right. And it's happening in the private sector. I mean, Patagonia is an incredible example because, oh, guess who um, started Patagonia? Oh, a woman with a small child who was like, well, if you want me to start Mm. this business. It's amazing how that works, isn't it? I know. Wild, like crazy. They have an incredible program. In fact, they now have graduates of their early education system program that are now back working for the company. It's pretty cool. And when you talk to someone at Patagonia about it, they're like, I actually feel bad talking about this because what we've done is so incredible and everybody should be doing it. Mm -hmm. But the problem with your business providing it is what if you move jobs? Like it will really lock you in. Right. That's right. That's an interesting point. It's funny how you think like this is the solution and then you think four steps down the road and you go, oh, wait a minute. It's interesting. Yeah, that happens to me like five times in every show. That's right. So then you're unhappy or you're getting harassed at work or you're having any problem at work. And then, right, you can't. It's kind of like healthcare is like that for people, right? Like you want to leave your job, you want to pursue something, but you can't. And it also um, it encourages complacency, doesn't it? Because that means people of privilege who have good jobs with good benefits get good childcare, And so then it's not a problem. <laughs> right. So like, you guys are like the smart people I talk to all the time because they're like, oh, no, actually, this is why that's a problem. I'm like, oh, OK, OK, got it, got it, got it. <laughs> so then you're left with what we have now, right, which is um, faith based programs, right? Like child care centers in your local church. You have home based programs. And I thought this was really cool. Like think about a home-based program typically run by a woman. That's a small female owned business, right? So like we need to be supporting those. And then you have these centers or nursery schools. So there are already several different existing places to go and support that are separate from business that are not in the public school system that have various tuitions and that are open to be able to participate in early head start and all the existing the subsidy system that works already so the conclusion is we have what it will take but we need money we need the investment and it's going to come from taxes um, on individuals and large corporations There's really no other place for that money to come. And by the way, really good idea, because guess what? You're enabling the parent to go to work, so the parents can be earning income and paying taxes. And really good idea, because these little squishy brains need development, 
And all the data shows really good things happen when you take care of kids in the way they need to be taken care of at a young age. Yeah, you got to change the hearts to change the policy. And you've got to have women saying like, we need this for ourselves and we deserve this for ourselves. And this is part of how we work. And this is how we become specific kind of members of society that we want to be. This is not, you know, some charity that we're asking for. This is part of, I love that line, part of infrastructure. I'm stealing that one because oh yeah, it's part of what makes our country work is helping people care for their kids while they work outside of the home. Totally. It's a basic human right and it's a really good idea. So there were higher graduation rates from high school. There is evidence that these young people, when they grow up, go get a good job. You know, it all goes into the pot that we're all invested in, which is our collective bank account in this country, right? Yep. So it makes a lot of sense. And I think, listen, it's still in the conversation. I love the fact that, okay, Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia, right? His name has been in the news a lot. In the state of West Virginia, they passed universal pre-K, It took 10 years, but they did it. It's a bipartisan issue. No one's like, yeah, no, we shouldn't have childcare. I mean, you cannot go out and have a conversation with really anyone on either side of the aisle who will say, bad idea. Like, it's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. And so you think that there is bipartisan buy-in and that infrastructure is coming? Yes. I think the tough moment will be if you go to, you know, someone at a big bank who's donated a lot to your campaign and say, okay, now you also have to put some money into childcare. That's a hard moment for a politician who's like, well, I also need to like fund my campaign. So it's like changing the minds of the people, frankly, who have the funds to put it where, you know, they will benefit, their company will benefit, their children will benefit. I think that's the tricky conversation that's, you know, that we need to have. Yeah. And it's definitely an ongoing conversation. So tell our listeners where they can hear you, where they can find you, and where they can continue this conversation with you. Oh, my pleasure. Okay. So you can find our podcast, No One Is Coming to Save Us, anywhere you get your podcasts. And you can also join our Facebook group, No One Is Coming to Save Us on Facebook. And I love that we, um, you guys do this with your unwelcome surprises. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we do voice memos every week. I love to hear about your childcare moments, like the good, the bad, and the ugly. You can send me a voice memo. All of that information is in the Facebook group. And if you listen, I will remind you because we feature them every week. And they're so fun. That's great. And we so encourage all of our listeners to be part of this really important conversation. Gloria, thanks so much for talking to us today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks, Gloria. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact invented. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was 
steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks.